0: Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles podcast from camdenchat.com. I am your host Mark Brown, Eat More SK on Camden Chat. It is March the 26th, 2012 in the evening as we're recording this and I am joined as always by Andrew Gibson. Andrew, how's it going up in Statland?
1: Oh, you know, we're getting ready for the season. It's busy. Uh I'm getting ready to uh, get the stats flowing, I guess.
0: Get the stats flowing. Well, that's uh, that's a good rallying cry, really. I guess.
1: Yeah, we are uh, making sure our our scoring software over at work is is ready to go with some updates for this season. So all it's the exciting. all
0: the pitches can maybe be more accurately classified, tiny little bit.
1: Oh, uh, always, always.
0: So Andrew and I are joined tonight by one of our uh, blogosphere compatriots. We've brought him in from. Camden Depot which he's been involved in since 2007 and on that site he gets to be a part of ESPN's Sweet Spot blogging network. He is John Shepard. John, how are you doing? Welcome to Camden Cast by the way.
2: Hey guys, nice to nice to be included in this week's broadcast. Uh doing quite fine.
0: That is good. So John has a rant that he wants to get off of his chest. It's about <laughs> uh it's about something that happens on Twitter and I will just let him go.
2: Well, I don't know if it's a rant per se, it's, it's certainly a pet peeve and it's actually caused me to, uh, go through and start actually deleting, uh, Twitter accounts because apparently I, I don't know Twitter well enough to actually create lists. Uh, so I'm just picking off, um, local beat writers left and right. And what they're doing that's so annoying me is that they're giving play by play. And especially for spring training, I, I I just don't see the point of it knowing that, uh, you know, Jai Miller hits a, a single through the through the hole it doesn't really increase my knowledge of baseball that much or, or, or is even that interesting to begin with. It's not a, a particularly uh, meaningful event.
0: Um, We're obsessively talking about the pitcher velocity, which is Andrew's pep. <laughs> oh,
1: my God. How, how fast was Tommy Hunter throwing tonight? Did,
0: you know what? I, mean, I, I, think, know. I think that's I did, the I'm one thing shinks. we have not seen. We have gotten a, a velocity-free... Oh no! They just they tweeted about Jim Johnson's velocity, so we <laughs> didn't, didn't escape Andrew. I'm sorry.
1: It's so it's so much junk information. It's just driving me up the wall. Like what am I supposed to do with how fast was Jim Johnson throwing tonight? Like how what am I, what am I supposed to do with that information? It, there's it no, no context to it. I was I, telling no John that
0: he should have a March Madness style bracket go and <laughs> uh, and just have people. Choose which Twitter account he should unfollow in rounds, but so who was the yeah. ultimate winner of the uh, the the Twitter follower death match? Um,
2: what's his name? I think what Wilson from
0: uh, Carroll County Times. Wow, that's going small time. That's, that's like a twelve I, seed. Yeah, right that was there. <laughs> that was an unexpected. Uh, that's like Butler in the Final Four, right
2: there. No, what I loved is uh, I guess I was a five seed. I don't know how I was a five seed, but I was a five seed. And the 12 seat I faced about was the
0: Baltimore Sports and Life uh, writer bracket right now, for those who aren't aware.
2: Right, right. So uh, Chris Stoner decided to uh, copy this thing that was being done out. Uh, I think a newspaper out in the Northwest around Seattle or a blog out there was doing it, which was to create a bunch of uh, a bracket with a lot of local uh, sports writers and then yeah. have whoever was yeah. following it vote who they like better.
1: It was a lot of fun when Dave Cameron from Fangraphs was up against Jeff Sullivan from SB Nation. And they got into like a mock Twitter war where they were like (laughs) making fun of each other's haircuts and things like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was similar, I guess, with me in my first round bout, which was basically it was me against, for some reason, she was a 12 seed, Amber Theo Harris. And wow, a lot of people have a lot of hate for her.
1: (laughs) Really? Is that really a thing? Like people hate Amber?
2: Well, I think what happens is, you know, she's very well accomplished. I think she's won Emmys or whatever award they give to to writers, sports writers, or people who appear on TV. And um, a lot of people discount her. You know, it's, it's the typical uh, bias against females in sports where they discount her just because she has a pretty face. When uh, she, you know, as sports writers go, you know, she's right up there with them. You know,
0: I would agree. I would not have anything bad to say about. Amber, I mean, other than just the general comment about massing people that you kind of get the feeling they can't really say too much that's harsh about the orioles I mean I don't know that that's what they're told, but you just kind of sort of feel like that
2: I think it's a situation where when you are working for your eventual authority is kind of the team, you know even if you're not told what to do there there's probably something in the back of your head where you, You know, unconsciously or consciously, you put a little bit of a shine on in things. But I don't think they're sometimes they report very positive, sunny things. But I haven't really seen them write personally incredibly sunny things. So I may not actually read them all that much.
0: So the moral of the story there is if you're a beat writer, you know, do something that every other beat writer isn't doing. Not that I think any beat writers are listening to this podcast anyway, but if for some reason one of them was. Just, it's it's not even that. It's, they should not be doing play-by-play on Twitter.
2: There's absolutely no function for that. I mean, it, it, it just is not very useful. You you have radio, you have video, you know, by watching TV. Um, play-by-play doesn't add anything to your experience or your understanding of what's happening in the game, and it feels pure Dickensian and that they're being paid per tweet or something like that.
0: If anybody is mobile where they're reading tweets and that's how they're following a game, they probably could and are just as easily looking at like ESPN's mobile GameCast or whatever. And uh, then they're getting a lot more information than 140 characters can communicate as well. So that Twitter, that Twitter rant concluded. We are actually going to move on and <laughs> talk about some actual baseball tonight. Uh, our original plan was to maybe do a little AL East preview of all the other teams, and we'll probably do that a little bit, but uh, the Orioles surprised us and actually had some news happen today. which well, hold uh, on. Oh, hold on. Okay, I'm holding on.
1: Because I have a rant, too. Okay. Andrew has a rant. I don't, too. Want, I don't right. want to be forgotten. I'm
0: sorry, Andrew. I don't want you to feel yeah. neglected. Just because <laughs> so, we have a guest, I don't want you to feel uh, swept yeah. under. Uh,
1: I understand. Um, I have a question for, for you, too. If I if I listed two players two two hitters to you and you could tell me which of the two hitters was more quote feared unquote whatever that means <laughs> i guess feared in the in the jim rice sense
0: he has to fear as keith law always says <laughs> right
1: <laughs> and and let's say uh, just for the sake of argument the the two hitters in question were robert and dino and Adam Jones. Now, now, if you're a pitcher, which batter is more likely to instill fear into you?
0: Well, am I Jonathan Papelbon? Because that may change that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean...
0: Just a generic pitcher? Yeah, sure. Okay, I'm going to say Adam Jones.
1: I don't even think Jonathan Papelbon really has the capacity for fear. No. Or love, or any other regular emotion. He's a robot. So tonight on the Pirates broadcast of the spring training game, we're recording on Monday night. uh, Right at the top, the broadcaster said something like, uh, they consider batters walk rates to be a function of how much fear they instill in the pitcher. Like, you need to be a fearsome hitter in order to draw walks. As in, this is the pitcher deciding he doesn't want to seriously pitch to you but, if, but this is something i've heard a couple other times like brady anderson mentioned it uh not in the same exact wording but he said something to the effect of when you're when you have a lot of power uh, pitchers tend to walk you more and, and again this is sort of like guys like the reason for walks happening are not completely pitcher dependent Robert Andino has over twice the walk rate Adam Jones had last year. Like he understands the strike zone a lot better than than Adam Jones does, or at least he did last year. And it just it drives me up the wall when uh, I hear these these broadcasters who should, I mean, their job is to understand how baseball works and communicate that to me, the consumer, and they should be the ones telling me. That, look, like Moneyball came out 10 years ago, and in that we learned that walks are not a function of pitching alone. Walks are a function of hitters understanding the strike zone and having plate discipline.
0: So The value of getting on base instead of thinking it's the value of getting a hit as the only way of getting on base. So maybe it's better to let a borderline pitch sail by than to take a hack at it.
2: And I think part of... um the difficulty that sportscasters have is that there really isn't, at least the way that sportscasting is done right now, there there really isn't a lot of room for nuance. And so you often see them jump on a rather complex explanation and just go at one part of it, one variable. And so does power play a role in walks to some degree it does. Sure. You know, the the ability to hit the ball hard is going to affect how whether or not a pitcher is going to throw straight down the middle at you. But certainly it's not the only thing. And I, I think with these broadcasters, they're just trying to quickly get a word out in between pitches and fill up a bunch of empty airtime. Um, though it may certainly be true, you know, a la Joe Morgan, that they don't really understand the game but play it or used to play it very well.
0: If they're on the air for three hours a night, I guess you got to cut them a little slack because they got to say something. And eventually, maybe it's not the most intelligent analysis, but you know they're there anyway, and they can't say nothing. So who knows? Andrew, for shame, you should you should cut know. them a little more slack. But <laughs> I I, I, I <laughs> agree
2: I agree with you, it's, by it's the way, because it's I don't think it's about having to cut them slack. I think it's just a rec- recognition that you're just not going to get much of anything from uh, them.
1: You know, I, I'm getting to the point where I, I personally have uh, a, a surround sound set up in my living room, and I'm going to figure out how to turn off the announcers yeah. and leave the crowd noise, because that's really what I want.
2: Oh, you're not going do... to do that. with the If they could do that with the vuvuzelas or whatever they're called, they, you could probably do that with the human voice.
1: Too. Yeah, right. Like, it's got to come out of just one or two of these speakers. i
0: got to be able to turn you it, it off. You could be a mute the TV and put on the radio person, too.
1: Well, that'd be great, but like I'm on MLB TV because oh, I'm sweet. in the Philly area, and the the synchronization of synchronization of these things is difficult.
0: That's right. Okay, so now we've both had we've both had our rants, and uh, now we can actually talk about the Orioles. And again, there were actually some Orioles news today, which I was un- uh, not expecting. And the one that was the biggest deal to me was when we found out the, what the Orioles were planning to do with Brian Roberts, who has been absent from, like, everything since his concussion issue. Uh, was, no, hitting himself in the head with the bat was the first concussion, and then sliding into first base head first was the second. right? And right. today we found out, and I had been thinking, well, Brian Roberts is going on the 60-day DL for sure. And I think Andrew also was assuming that because, like, 10 minutes before the announcement, he was tweeting about Roberts being on the 60-day as a a sure thing.
1: Right, because they they need room on the 40-man. They
0: need room on the (laughs) 40-man. But apparently they're not going to make that room by having Brian Roberts go on the 60-day DL because they announced today that he's going to go on the 15-day disabled list instead. And he's going to be going north with the team. And Dan Connolly said part of his recovery process is going to be, quote, to be a part of the atmosphere from the dugout, because he wants to be at Camden Yards for the experience. He's going to go on part of the first road trip, and if all that goes well, it will be followed by a rehab assignment. So uh, I guess the question is, is that a good decision to not have Brian Roberts go on the 60-day DL? Because... Well, I
1: mean, how are we supposed to answer that, yeah, really?
0: We, we don't know. It's, it's another one of those things, and Andrew and I seem to get on that a lot, where Really, we have no way of knowing because uh, we can only know what other people tell us. But I, I think,
2: I think one way to partially answer that, but not come to an actual conclusion, is to think there are an awful number of uh, people currently on the forty-man roster who are out of options. And are all those players who are out of options? Where was I, My thought on that. I think I lost my thought. Well,
1: oh, okay, so it looks very strongly like the Orioles are going to need to open up two spots on the 40-man roster for opening day because they're going to need to put Ronnie Paulino on right and they're probably going to put Nick Johnson on and those guys are both on minor league contracts there's a couple other guys still in major league camp like Pat Neshack who's on a minor league contract but I really don't think Pat Nishak is about to make the opening day roster. The 40-man roster is full right now. So if they put these guys on the major league roster, somebody else has to go either on the 60-day disabled list or be designated for assignment. And while uh, Jay Miller, if he doesn't make the squad, is almost certainly going to be DFA'd, there's still one more spot and no really obvious candidate and a lot of the problem is there's a lot of especially pitchers who are sort of jamming up the the roster yeah there's a lot of pitchers that don't have
0: options but don't look like they're going to make the team either and i don't know what they're going to do with all those guys i don't know if they know what they're going to do with all those guys
1: right i mean some of these guys might pass through waivers and be able to be outrighted but some of them might be able to Uh, just be granted free agency.
2: I haven't heard much this spring coming from uh, about Dana Evelyn.
0: Well, I have this thing about Dana Evelyn where I forget he's on the Orioles uh, every time (laughs) between his appearances. And then as soon as I see him, I wish he wasn't on the Orioles. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, maybe that will finally come to an end because they will just have him be a guy who gets designated for assignment. I don't yeah, know.
1: but that would be just so lame. Like, who why did they, did they, give they up trade for, for
0: Dana Eveland if he's just going to be designated for assignment? Bait
1: was they, that Jarrett Martin and someone else?
0: Tyler Henson.
1: Tyler Henson. So, I, I mean, obviously, the fact that I can't remember says as much as maybe needs to be said from my perspective about that trade. But it's why not, trade anything? It's for not like they that...
0: gave up important guys. But why trade for Dana Eveland is the question and
1: uh... right and now he's just sort of here and he's pitched he's been pitching in spring training not super effectively but uh, you know how effective do you really need him to be and if you want him to make the team then somebody else has to not make the team and now you're looking at you know like is like Pedro Strope not going to make the team or Matt Lindstrom, like, other guys that they've brought in in the not-too-distant past. Like, it's a mess. I think I read today that guys. Matt
0: Lindstrom has a minor league option. I I really have a hard I time I parsing that. that stuff. But, because it seems like everybody says something different and who knows who's right and not. But
2: I think you have a minor league option until you hit... Uh... Unless you use all three
0: options or if you hit I think six years experience. Okay. Well I don't think, I that, think that's the rule. I don't think that applies to Matt Lindstrom then. So but man, why would you have a two million dollar guy just sitting in the minor leagues? I think he's four, isn't he? Uh, yeah.
1: He's he's on a pretty big contract.
0: Yeah. So Matt Matt Lindstrom would seem to be making the team. So, you know, whatever, the bullpen is crowded. But all that relates back to Brian Roberts because if he doesn't <laughs> play a game before June first, which I personally just don't see how that could happen. Then it's going to be, why didn't they put him on the 60-day DL and just make room when that's really what they probably should have known was going to happen all along. Because really all winter it's just been pessimism about his condition. So either that's all been wildly off base or the Orioles are just really having wishful thinking guide their decision-making now which isn't very good either.
2: My wild thought, I mean, there, there's two parts of my wild thought. First off is that the amount of talent on this 40-man roster is basically, it, it's one of the lowest amounts of talent in all of Major League Baseball. So, D- Despite whoever,
0: the fact that uh, Dan Duquette and Buck both keep saying, well, they've upgraded like 10 to 12 spots on the 40-man in this offseason. Yeah. Which sure, maybe they did. That just shows how you, bad it was to begin with. Right.
2: And you can certainly make that argument, and I think that's a valid argument. Um, But, yeah, I I think there's clearly one person who Brian Roberts is taking a spot from by not being pulling the 60-man. And that isn't going to mean much at all for this season or any time in the future. And the second part of my wild and crazy idea is that maybe this is just sort of a send-off bash for Brian Roberts to give him one last opening day with the team to give him one last uh, just tour around with the ball club for a short bit because I, I just do not see how he can come back and play baseball. I think he's going to transition more to an organizational front office or instructor type of mode when his, when he feels that he can actually do that and he's not suffering from the concussion symptoms as much as he is now, because I don't think he's actually gotten into even any um, simulated games this spring. I think he he's hasn't done, done some...
0: anything other than take batting practice and take grounders. And all the pictures yeah, All the pictures funny... of him doing the grounders was like nothing he had to dive for or even really right. look at the ground for. Because what was it? Yeah, it was I like mean... a week and a half ago where they actually said on the broadcast, oh, this is the first game he's been able to watch because before this, the doctor said he couldn't be turning his neck around fast.
2: Yeah, I think... we. Everyone just needs to be realistic, and I mean, can, the type of concussions that the uh, the syndrome that he has related to his concussions just appears to be something where you know, even if he could come back, what could you expect? Well, you know, even he, if
1: he didn't have a concussion at all, uh, you know, he's an aging second baseman. Yeah. When he played last year, he wasn't very good. It was only for like 20, 30
2: games or so. But, and and what's twenty games of rehab gonna do for him right I mean um, hmm.
1: I don't know it, it's scary stuff is really where I'm coming from and i obviously I have no idea what what the medical analysis is, but I hope he's not pushing himself out of a sense of duty i I guess would be the best way to put it um and trying to come back when you know he could easily Work his way back and then just get hurt all over again. And it'd be even worse.
2: Yeah. I've, I've met him a couple of times. He's a great guy. Uh, at least, <laughs> you know, in the, in the 10 minutes that I talked to him. Um, but he's certainly someone who has fought hard to get where he is. He had a really um, difficult battle against Jerry Hairston when he first came up with the Orioles and had to deal switching over to a new position. He's been at times one of the best second baseman in baseball, not, not really the best, but up there, certainly. Uh, and it's probably difficult that he has, what, two more years left and the $20 million coming at him, and that he can't perform at a level which he has done for the most of his career.
0: Yeah, I definitely think Brian Roberts seems like the kind of guy who wants to earn his keep. He doesn't just, you know, he's not just going to sit there and say, well, I'm getting $20 million, but can he, can he do anything at this point and you know, there's just no way for us to know, but it just seems unlikely. But
1: but it it is a good point that his spot on the 40-man roster is probably not going to block somebody that you really need to hold on to.
0: Right, the Orioles don't have some promising person who looks like, oh, they're going to be a used right, player, like, we like, can't give up on them. Like, say the way the Orioles got Jeremy Guthrie from the Indians, for instance, um, or, I don't know, however... Maybe the Orioles lost somebody like that recently. I don't know, but
1: well, you're not going to worry terribly about losing a guy like Jay Miller. Although he he seems like he has some talent, but he's flawed in enough different ways that you know you're not really going to worry too hard about what you're doing with Brian Roberts.
0: Right. Or for instance, in for instance, if Josh Bell gets designated for assignment, I'm really not going to be a great right. upset.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it Doesn't does. A... Sorry.
2: Well, that's true with most teams. I mean, you look at the 40th man on really any team in baseball, and it's, it's not someone who's going to make or break you.
1: Yeah, and and at the same time, what I was about to say was, <laughs> um, it, it also sort of uh, points out that the way the Orioles have managed their 40-man roster this winter has been somewhat less than optimal. For example, <laughs> Matt Antonelli has a spot on the 40-man roster, uh, Dana Evelyn, the aforementioned uh, Luis Ayea, who, I would guess, would be the most another likely candidate to, to be cut. And, and, and I mean, they didn't even the sign race. him a
0: month ago, did they? Like
1: Right. Like, and it's, it's sort of like, well, why are all these guys here when like, you're signing them and then bringing in sort of better options, or you already had better options? Like I understand depth, but depth okay. doesn't Luis Ayala work when signed you tenth. all so. sorts of roster issues.
0: Still, yeah, it was a pretty seemed like a pretty full bullpen before they signed Luis Ayala. So if, but even so, considering he signed in February, if they end up designating him for assignment before the season even starts, I mean it's like what like eight hundred thousand dollars or whatever just flushed down the toilet. I don't know, what was the point? Who knows?
1: Well, right, and it it, it hasn't been. A, a off season to sort of use as a, a textbook guide for for how to manage your forty man roster. Dan Duquette's head was in Korea. It's,
0: it's, he couldn't be paying attention to stuff like the forty man <laughs> roster. I guess
1: he's specifically not supposed to be in Korea. So, he, can, he
0: can be in Korea. He just can't go to
2: the
1: uh, amateur games. Yeah,
0: he could take a vacation. He just uh, can't go to any baseball
1: games. Okay, that's a good point. So, you know, I'm, whatever. I, I withdraw my, my childish joke. But
0: you're right. You're, <laughs> you're right, Andrew, with your point that the 40th man on the 40-man roster probably doesn't matter on the Orioles or any other team. It's just, it's another one I of those things that where was John's point. Both both of you said it. You're right. Maybe it was John. I'm sorry. I don't. Don't mean to forget. But uh, it's one of those things where it's a small thing, but you wish that Orioles could do even the small things right. And when they show that they're not particularly adept even at those small things, you can't get a lot of hope for the bigger things either. I guess mm-hmm. that's what it comes down to. Sure.
1: Yeah. Well, it, it's tough. It's. <laughs> I mean, we all know. Every, everybody listening knows it's tough.
0: But Tough out there for the Orioles. It's tough being an Orioles fan. and. Speaking of the Orioles not being very good and not many good <laughs> prospects for the uh, upcoming season, one reason that they don't is because every other team in the AL East is better than them. So, let's look at some of the other AL East teams, well, all the other AL East teams, unless we run out of time, and just kind of go through some of the things that they've done through the off season. So. Last year's division champion, of course, was the New York Yankees. Boo, 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 boo. And one of their big moves was the very interesting trade of Jesus Montero to the Seattle Mariners and getting back hot shot pitching prospect Michael Pineda.
1: One time hot shot pitching prospect anyway?
0: Yeah, so he's... uh. He's one of these guys who's everybody's, and at least it seems like Yankees writers are tweeting breathlessly about his velocity, the same way they are about uh, the Orioles writers are about, like you know Brian Mattis for instance. And uh, I think I saw somebody, somebody in the Keith Law tier of analysts, so it might not have been Keith Law himself today, said that they don't think Pineda's going to be more than a four or five this year, although he could develop into more next year. And like you know last year. People were saying, OK, well, he could be, you know, rookie of the year uh, caliber player.
1: And he, he was. He probably should have been rookie of the year. Well, that, that's debatable. I don't want to say he definitely should have been. But he was up there. Yeah, for sure. he,
0: he was he was one of the top rookies, but he wasn't like dominating uh, the best the way people were talking. Of course, his
2: stuff looked better than the numbers he was putting up.
0: Yeah. So, so I guess uh, maybe he'll have better luck this year, although he's going to have a lot tougher environment because he'll be in the New York Pressure Cooker and short Shortport Yankee Stadium in right field with uh, whatever jet stream, if that's really a thing. I don't know.
1: Well, it was a cool trade because you don't see sort of the one-for-one one top prospect or another mm-hmm. top prospect. And you also don't see many trades where the guy's, changing teams are both moving to a stadium that doesn't really suit them. So they're sort of now moving to a a situation that plays against their strengths where Montero's power. Now he's playing in one of the more pitcher friendly parks and in a division loaded with tons of great pitchers and pitching friendly parks. And uh, Pineda is coming to Yankee stadium He's a fly ball pitcher. That's usually not a great combination. And it's also the AL East, which is a very difficult place for, for pitchers to apply their craft. Um, so I think there was always sort of the, the, it's going to take more than one year before you figure out who won this trade. And you can say that about every trade, but uh, especially with this one, like, if Pineda was, like, a three or a four this year, like, I'm not sure that's really super surprising to me. Because, again, like, it's his second year. He's a young guy. He's got his whole career ahead of him, and he's moving to a much more difficult situation than what he's been in.
0: Yeah, and Montero, I mean, he was just a very highly touted guy, of course. that Maybe that's because he was a Yankee prospect, and we know Yankee fans love no, him. He's, he's real. No, he is he's, legit. He's got a good bet. And, uh... So who knows? It's it's it was just an interesting trade and.
1: Uh, I do know my Yankee fan friends, uh, especially in the office, were not happy the day that trade was announced.
0: Well, um, anything that makes they, Yankee they fans unhappy, I guess, brings me a little joy. Well, it, yeah, it would have been
1: should...
2: it it would have been interesting to see how they would have, how the Yankees would have fitted Montero into that lineup because they have a lot of older guys and they they tend to when they can use that DH spot. A little liberally with uh, people, you know, other people on the roster. Right. So somebody so, well, like A.
0: Rod or Mark Teixeira can have a day where they're not in the field.
2: Right. And Montero has no defensive
0: position. So maybe that was yeah. one reason why they decided they can make that trade because they can't I, uh, they can't stick him out in the field, or they shouldn't. And sometimes they can't have him as DH either because they need to manage their old guys.
2: So I think they're getting more value with Pineda. I mean, even if Pineda's a three or a four, that's probably going to give them more
1: immediate value. Well, it's not like a one. I mean, they have basically the number one pitcher in baseball, really.
0: The Yankees Uh, are slated to have about a two hundred seven million dollar payroll this year, so you know they got to get that value where they can, because God (laughs) knows they haven't spent enough money on uh, on getting it already.
1: Well, you know what's what's interesting to me about the Yankees. this past week, the news about Java Chamberlain, and really a, like a gruesome and and at first funny and then like immediately not funny at Makes all. Makes
0: you shudder when you read about those injuries injuries like right. that.
1: Right, uh, he he broke his ankle on a trampoline, um, and at, at one point I read it was like legitimately like a really scary situation with the amount of blood he had lost. But yeah, it
2: was a, it was a compound fracture.
1: Right. Um, He is out for the season, and that would seem to weaken their bullpen substantially. But then, like, I look at it, and you still have Rivera back there for at least one more year. And you've got David Robertson, who's great. And then you have Rafael Soriano, whose signing was, like, widely mocked. And it had, like, this weird Brian Cashman press conference where he said, like, basically, like, I didn't want to sign this guy. He's too expensive. But here he is.
0: Right, he basically okay. came out and said it was the Steinbrenners, and he wanted nothing to do with it. But...
1: Right, but now it's almost like you know, you're the Yankees. The money's not super important, and aren't you glad you have this guy because, like, you don't have Java, who's going to be one of your your premier bullpen guys, and you don't really need him. You've got all this these other guys back there. It's it's kind of interesting how how life turns out, I guess.
0: So with the second wild card added in, the Yankees are basically virtually guaranteed to make the playoffs like in perpetuity,
1: right? Well, at least for, for this year, yeah, I as far
0: in- They're so good. Yeah. I
1: mean, they were really good last year. so.
0: No, no reason to think they're going to take a step back, even if a player here and there doesn't have as good of a year as last year. Like, It will be very difficult for Curtis Granderson to be better than he was last year just because he was just so great last year. Uh, I mean, if he's even better than last year, that'd be a pretty wow occurrence.
2: I think there's a there's an outside shot, very very slight, that they finish in third, and another wild card comes out of the AL West.
0: Yeah, the Angels in Texas are probably going to have an interesting uh, dynamic going on out there. Oh, I think they're both going to make it.
1: Oh man, that is exciting! I'm so looking forward to this summer just just to watch like a non East Coast like serious like death match pennant race all summer long that's awesome and like there's already starting to be like sniping between cj wilson and mike napoli It's great
0: that was so weird cj wilson basically like tweeted mike napoli's phone number and acted like it was an accident and just a joke it's like yeah that's uh, that's pretty serious stuff there. That's gonna. That's yes. like a
1: that's an old-fashioned heel turn. That's right getting there. some
0: bad blood boiling uh, <laughs> between the Texas and Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, Orange County, California. Blah blah. blah it's blah,
1: so great. Blah. I'm I'm already thrilled with with that.
0: So yeah, maybe one of those will get the second wild card, and then the Rays will get the first wild card, and either New York or Boston will not make the playoffs. That would be the ideal scenario as far as.
1: Well, I'm the Rays. Since since we're going through it, we can we can move on to them. The, they are sort of fantastically loaded with run prevention, up and down, and in and out, everything. They've got probably like the the best pitching prospect going, who's who's going to be in their rotation, Matt, Matt Moore. Moore, who won their only playoff game that they won last year. How crazy and was that, by
0: drowning. the Because that was like, what was that, his second start ever or something like that? Yeah. His second major league level start, and it's in the playoffs? That's uh, That was bold, but it worked out. He,
1: he looked like he had ice water in his veins. Yeah. Right? Um, and then on, they already had a very good rotation to, to begin with, and run prevention. I mean, their team defense is... Uh, like. Uh, for the fielding Bible, you know, it sort of lapped every other team and then came around back on on them again. Um, and a lot of that is they have very good defensive players, but they also use sort of uh, over reliance. Now, that, that's not what I mean to say. They, they use a ton of shifts. They use way more shifts than any other team. Like I saw the other day they were shifting on Adam or Andrew Jones against the Yankees in a spring training game where they had three infielders on the third base side of the infield, which is really unusual at this point in in time. But you know, why not? And so they're constantly sort of moving their fielders in and out and getting the advantage wherever they can, I guess is is their sort of
0: tagline it's weird imagining a defense being a strength of a team when you're an orioles fan and you're watching mark reynolds last year or felix pa in left field who were i think yes. two of the worst defense like defense rating players last year as far as runs given up in all of baseball i think reynolds might even have been the worst i don't know and pa was pretty bad in his limited action to the extent that in Fangraphs. uh Wins above replacement. P.A. was the second worst player in Major League Baseball, only behind Adam Dunn. And well, of
1: course, he didn't hit at all, either. No. P.A., not Dunn. Oh, Dunn didn't either. I mean, it, it's not a good combination. So if you think about you it, if, anything,
0: if, you, if you're a pitcher and you've got Mark Reynolds, who's not going to get to any ground ball, or if he does, he's going to throw it away sometimes, or if it's a line drive, Felix P.A. is going to fall over trying to catch it, or... Who knows what he's going to do? Uh, he, maybe he'll get the ball and throw it over the cutoff man's head. Maybe he'll throw it to the wrong base. Maybe he won't catch it. You know, there's there's no way of knowing. And you can't feel very confident having those guys behind you. So uh, at least maybe there will be a vaguely confident left fielder this year between Nolan Reimold and Andy Chavez.
1: Yeah, you see uh, sort of moving to the, the stats side of it a little bit. Um... A guy like Zach Britton, who had like a three ten uh batting average on balls in play, which is not super unusual, um, especially for a ground ball pitcher. And then you look at in Tampa Bay, Jeremy Hellickson had like a two forty in play average, and James Shield had something like a like a two sixty or two fifty, you know. The the defense is taking away a huge amount of hits that in Baltimore, you know, we can't really fathom that sort of, uh, defensive prowess.
0: It's hard to imagine. And well, I guess it's not if you're an Orioles fan, who's my dad's age and you grew up watching guys like Brooks Robinson and Mark Belanger, uh, and that kind of thing. And I, I mean, I haven't seen that kind of excellence all across the diamond, uh, as I remember at least not since I've been an adult. I don't know. Maybe in Cal Ripken's heyday, whoever else he was playing with was good. But who knows?
2: Yeah, I mean, that was a pretty good infield with uh, Billy and Cal and Craig Worthington.
0: Craig Worthington. Now that's a name I've not heard in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Randy Milligan was at first base. Moose Milligan. I do remember him.
1: <laughs> I think I have the, uh, the baseball cards from that year. But I have zero memory of that year, personally.
0: Yeah, so who knows. But anyway, the Rays have uh, good defense, and the Orioles don't, and that's our that's our capsule thought there. Uh, moving along through the AL East, we've got the Toronto Blue Jays, who John has some thoughts about being kind of the bizarro Orioles. In that, oh, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: In that kind of last year's Blue Jays were what we were hoping the Orioles would be in 2010 before 2010 actually happened and was terrible. So they've kind of got their window of contention sometime in the near future, but it doesn't look like they're shooting for it in 2012 because the only thing they really did in this offseason was trade for, what, Sergio Santos? Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. What do you do if you're a team like Toronto and you're trying to compete? When when do you think they're going to try and make the leap? How do they go about making the leap?
2: They're They're trying to gauge where all their talent is, And they're waiting for a certain base level to be there before taking a monetary plunge. And um, it reminds me kind of to Andy McPhail's, I guess maybe his second year, after 2009 going into 2010, how there was a rather large base of talent. Well, not that large, but it appeared that there was some core talent within the Orioles. The cavalry is coming. Yes, the cavalry is coming. And of course, in hindsight, very little of that worked out. But it was one of those chances where you know Nick and I were sitting there and we're watching, we watching what was transpiring after the 2009 season, and it was just, it didn't seem like there was any rhyme or reason to what the the club was doing. And with the Blue Jays, their farm system is, it looks really good. There's a lot of high ceiling guys. Not too many guys that you're you're completely sure are going to turn into something, but a lot of high ceiling guys, and they have a rather strong core up in the majors you have Bautista and right, you have uh, a promising player in like laurie and they have some good pitching um, and you think that with a couple more pieces they could be relevant this season, but uh I guess they're just going to let guys grow and maybe see what can, they can do next year. Because I, I just don't think that they are really trying to get into the playoffs this season.
1: Well, I think maybe also part of it is this specific offseason was first base heavy. And then, you know, there's not a ton of other pieces that you really want to uh, exert your financial strength on. And there's there's sort of a, a, a routine cycle of high-quality first basemen that hit free agency every couple of years. So if you're not totally sure that, like, Brett Lowry and Travis Snyder, to name another guy, and, like, Kelly Johnson are going to really all come together with, with their young pitching, you know, why necessarily invest in, like, Prince Fielder right now when you can get the next Prince Fielder, Joey Votto, when he's coming up in a couple of years, you know? I mean, those guys are always going to command a ton of money and they're always going to keep coming up. There's always going to be a next guy coming.
2: And I think there's always going to potentially be a, if we wait one more year, we can see what happens in next off season. There are guys that are lined up that may address our needs more than this off season. I think it's one of those, it's certainly a difficult question, you know, deciding when to actually make a charge and, uh put your money on the table and try to get the final pieces in place. There's certainly a window of opportunity there as guys start hitting arbitration and free agency. And it's a matter of why you have a lot of your younger players young and cheap. um, Do you supplement them with the the higher priced guys and figure out what to do later on when you come up against budget issues?
0: Wouldn't it be cool if that was a question that Orioles actually had to worry about? I can't even imagine what that would be like.
1: Well, I, I sort of can, because let's say the Orioles had the the season the Blue Jays had last year, which is really sort of like the grand hope. I 81 guess.
0: and 81. I right, guess 82 exactly. and 80 would be a tiny bit better, because then it's a winning season instead of a non-losing season. But
1: So you know exactly what would have happened. They would have got into a bidding war for Jonathan Papelbon with the Phillies. Maybe they win that. So now they have a super expensive closer again. And then they maybe try to get into a bidding war for Prince Fielder or Albert Pujols, but they lose that. And yeah, then you're just stuck with a $60 million investment in the closer. And then maybe your team takes a step backwards this year. Yeah,
2: my you know, guess that's... is that they, they, they'd they start going after guys like
1: Josh Willingham. Yeah, or Michael Kadire. Who, yeah. was, who was sort of a media target?
0: Didn't he get 30 million from the Rockies, Michael Cuddyer, something like that?
2: Yeah, he can stand anywhere on the field.
1: <laughs> or, uh, or maybe a guy like Jason Kubel, who ended up in Arizona. <laughs> yeah, it it just it wasn't like a super strong offseason for free agency, really, outside of the uh, U. Darvish, C.J. Wilson, Albert Pujols, Prince Fielders. Of the of
0: the world. Jose Reyes gets in that category maybe. I don't know.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Kadai yeah. is yeah. making ten yeah. and a half million dollars a year for the next three years.
1: Yeah, I, I did. I totally forgot about Jose Reyes because he went to Miami, and I yeah. cannot remember anything. about Because we Miami.
0: have to block out the home run right <clears throat> and thing.
1: I saw it. I, they they had like a YouTube video of the actual. It's thing a it's a
2: Marlin, world. I
0: think. Uh, right. I uh, that would that would make sense, wouldn't it, if it was a Marlin? Uh, my bad. <laughs> yes. The, the home run thing is there, and everything else is just blacked out because of that. So uh, anyway, we were gonna say some stuff about Boston, but we're kind of getting short on time, and I hate Boston anyway. So the the moral of the story is Boston will probably be good just because they're Boston. Uh, but well, I would like it were, if they weren't good.
1: They were really really good last year. Yeah, just a, that's just that's a lost a beer and chicken and. Harry Francona stuff, but they were really, really good
0: last year. But maybe Robert Andino will continue to be their bane. That's my hope. Boston is lined up for like 170 million dollar payroll this year, so you have a lot of room for error when you can spend on that level. Although, yeah, it's
2: amazing to see what that team can do sober.
0: Bobby Valentine <laughs> is back from <laughs> his broadcast uh, exile, I guess. And thank goodness. About. I
1: I just I didn't like him as a broadcaster. So I'm glad that he got a managerial job.
0: And uh maybe there's stories where there's already power struggles in there, but who knows if that's true. That's that's about what we've heard from Boston lately. And again, they're probably going to be good, although we wish they weren't, and that's life. So what do you think? Who's gonna win the AL East out of those teams, John? Uh, I think the Yankees
2: are gonna win. I think the, the Rays are gonna go wild
0: card. So Boston will get frozen out of the playoffs again? Or do you think...
2: Yeah, I think they're they have some injury issues and depth issues that I think might take them down. In I mean, if stay, if a large number of them stay healthy, they're going they're going to be one of the best teams. But uh, I think injuries are going to hit them.
0: Probably this year, the Washington papers will not be writing best team ever just because I'm sure they felt uh, pretty dumb after having those articles from January after what ultimately happened. We'll see though. Who knows? Andrew, who do you think's winning the A L East?
1: um well if i knew that i would go to vegas and make a million dollars right um it's true (laughs) i i really like the rays i guess uh i don't feel super strong about it because the yankees are really good the red Sox are really good the rays are really good they're all really really good teams um i like i like the rays because well i i was a big fan of luke scott and i would like to see him sort of uh come back and and be a viable dh and that's sort of been like a a offensive piece they've been missing to to complement longoria and and joyce and now now desmond jennings is an exciting young player so they got a lot of really good things going on for them and they're younger than the other guys which is a inherent advantage in in any pennant race i think
0: Yeah, the Rays have the youth, which uh, Boston and New York for the most part don't. I was thinking about it today because I was planning that to be the the towards-the-end question, and I don't know. I just feel like Boston will recover after the suffering the embarrassment, and they'll probably win the division. And then maybe the Rays will get the wild card, the first wild card, and maybe New York will not get a wild card, and then I'd be happy because I hate Yankees, uh, and that would be okay. But that's my heart and not my head. Uh, probably the Yankees will win the division, but maybe it'll not have the Yankees in the playoffs. Well, they have Andy Pettit now. They do have so Andy uh, Pettit probably... to, uh, to, to, to balk his way to, uh, the hall of fame or near the hall of fame or whatever is the deal with that. Although then we're opening a whole new can of worms there cause his name is in the Mitchell report stuff and we're not going to get into that tonight. So whatever, um, But anyway, we are about to where we want to wrap things up, so let's see. John, do you have any kind of final thoughts about the state of the Orioles at this moment in time?
2: I have absolutely no thoughts about the state of the Orioles. You know what, (laughs) that's
0: probably the safest way to be, because um, that spares you the pain of actually being aware of the Orioles' uh, impending season. That's probably not going to be very good. Wow, that yeah, did, that
1: is really dark. and.
0: I know, impressive. I know. I try not to think stuff like that, but I can't. <laughs> Andrew, how about you? Do you have any thoughts at all?
1: Uh, Sure. I have thoughts about the overalls. I think the, the key phrase that I'm going to come back to probably in like June or July is, they are who I thought they were and who we all thought they were, because... So, you know, just watching, like, spring training games, which I, I hate and they're boring because nothing in them matters, but, like, you can see, like, the defense is really pretty terrible and the hitting is okay, but nothing to really write home about and the pitching is, gosh, who even knows? Um, and that's exactly what I thought was was going to be the case when when spring training opened. And literally nothing has changed to make me feel a whole lot better about the state of things.
0: Yeah, they are who we thought they were as a pretty good summary. And references is one of my favorite sound clips from sports of all times, really. So that's a good bonus, too. My final thought, actually, I'm not going to give a final thought about the Orioles because we have to try and give away the fielding Bible that we talked about last time. And we almost, oh, we almost forgot about it. So what we've decided is, and if you've listened this far, you're going to be eligible and nobody else will, so more power to you. Uh, If you would like to win Andrew's copy of the Fielding Bible that he's going to give away, uh, go on to the CamdenChat.com post for this podcast, and you'll find it under the podcast tab, the most recent one, and... Leave a comment for us and just pick your favorite Oriole player or any Oriole player you feel like naming, really, who's not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. So you can't come in with Cal Ripken or Jim Palmer or any of the rest, but uh, pick a favorite Oriole who's not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And we will randomly select a winner among the category of people who aren't like Andrew's brother or mom or Stacy's boyfriend or any other Camden chat writers. Don't worry, I promise we're not going to give it to someone who's on the site regularly like that.
1: that that's very reminiscent of um, the, there's a ebook being written by a ton of really really good writers. That was just a Kickstarter project that just ended.
0: The Hall of Very Good.
1: The Hall of Very it Good. Like it's very very awesome. reminiscent of, of the Hall of Very Good. Maybe we should write a post about whoever we pick as our as our winner. Or the, they're going to go we're gonna gonna we're in the in hall very area.
0: good. I don't know. but uh, Yeah, so that's how you can win. And we'll just pick randomly uh, and probably announce it on the next podcast. Yeah, our we, big we will TV have podcast. Some... Probably we will post on April the 5th. We'll have Stacey Long, and it'll be good.
1: We will take our time. So if you are a lurker and you don't have a Camden Chat name and you want to win this book, which I highly recommend because I wrote it or I wrote several pages in it. Um, also, it's great is is the other reason. But if you want to win it and you're not a member, you can sign up and there's a a 24 hour waiting window. Sign up, wait the 24 hours, put on the thing. We will choose a winner in sometime next week or or, or yeah. in two let's,
0: weeks. let's say we'll pick the winner on April the third. So you have until April the third to get your act together. And that's that's our that's our little ghetto contest. And uh, yeah, good luck. Please post, and you'll have a chance to win. So, John, sorry for leaving you hanging while we went through that crap. We probably should have done it earlier. But uh, it is time to wrap up. So, John Shepard, he is from Camden Depot blog. Follow him at Camden Depot on Twitter.
1: He is my favorite Orioles blogger. Not not a joke. Camden Depot is my favorite Orioles blog. Outside of Camden Chat, obviously.
0: (laughs) John well, has my John easily that. has a lot of great articles. Uh one we were talking about before we were recording about the UZR splits home and away for the Orioles outfielders. That's probably that's probably my favorite uh analysis post I've ever read on any Orioles blog. Yeah, they just sorta of come to me. So yeah, you gotta you gotta <laughs> take inspiration where it comes. And uh thank you for joining us on here, John. Hope you had a good time. Hopefully it was it's been a pleasure for everybody. And Maybe we'll have you on again some other time. Uh, we'll try and be working on it. Sounds good. So, for my usual partner, Andrew Gibson, and you can follow him on Twitter too at GibsonAndrew. I'm Mark Brown. Follow me at EatMoreSK and this is Camden Chat. We are out.